12 years ago, WordPress unveiled their visual editor, allowing you to create content using an editor that showed your changes as you go, such as bold and italics, without having to use code. It's been tweaked and upgraded many times since then, but has remained essentially the same. However, 2018 is going to bring a vastly different editing experience into WordPress, and it's going to be amazing. Before we get to that, though, I'm Mickey Mellon, and this is A Brighter Web, episode number 28, brought to you by all of us at Green Mellon. Our goal with this podcast is to give you quick weekly insights for news, products, and ideas so we can all make the web a brighter place to be. These might be actual web tips talking about strategy, search engines, WordPress plugins, and UX, or it might be productivity ideas to help you get more done and free up your time to do great things. We also want to thank our sponsor, ClickHost.com. ClickHost provides top-rate web hosting at prices as low as $5 a month. Visit ClickHost.com ABW for an exclusive 20% off discount for listeners of Brighter Web. Today we'll talk more about Gutenberg, WordPress 4.9.1, OK Ways, Social Purchases, Apple and QR Codes, Donate Buttons, and much more. Let's dig in. So when WordPress 2.0 was released on the last day of 2005, it introduced a new WYSIWYG editor, What You See Is What You Get. It wasn't completely true, as what you see in the back end of WordPress isn't exactly what you see in the front end of the site, but it was far better than having to write all that code by hand. The editor's been refined and updated quite a bit since then, but it's still essentially the same as it was way back in 2005. Sometime in 2018, though, possibly as soon as April, WordPress will be releasing their new Gutenberg editor. It's a massive change to how content works in WordPress, and it uses a new system of blocks, somewhat similar to how Medium and LinkedIn handle their posts. It's much more involved than we can get into over the podcast, but I strongly encourage you to learn more. We'll have a link in the show notes to the official information pages for Gutenberg, which you can find at wordpress.org Gutenberg, and we'll be sharing more information in future podcasts as the release date draws near. Also related to WordPress is last week WordPress 4.9.1 was released. It was a pretty minor update, but had some rather important security updates in it, so go ahead and get that updated as soon as you can on your site if they didn't update automatically. No big features there. They're saving that for 5.0 with Gutenberg and some of that, but it's an important update nonetheless to keep you secure and moving forward until then. For those that like to navigate with Waze in their car, they've added a great new update. Pretty simple one, but it added OK Waze support. So while you're driving, you say OK Waze, talk to your Waze to ask questions, change routes, that kind of thing. They also added motorcycle options, so if you drive a motorcycle, you'll have some different options in there. It'll handle things a little bit differently. And also added HOV, high occupancy lane support in there, so it'll know if you're able to go in the HOV lanes and how that affects your timing and duration and those sorts of things. So if you update the app on your phone for Apple and Android, you should see those new features in there now. A study's recently come out that's posted on ZDNet talking about where social purchases are made, which social networks help encourage people to actually make purchases online. Their findings show that 48% of social purchases come from Facebook, with just 8.6% from Instagram, 1.4% from Twitter, and 34.6% having never bought anything socially, or at least not being able to track it back to that. Facebook remains a huge source for online conversions and certainly something you should ignore. We have a link to the full article in our show notes so you can learn more about that. It happened a little while ago, we haven't mentioned it yet, but Apple's finally added QR code support to their native camera app. This is something Android's already had, and I've long said that this is something that if Apple and Android both added to their native cameras, might give QR codes a chance. Now, I think at this point it could be a little bit too late, QR codes are mostly dead, but now that it's native and anyone with an iPhone or Android can just hold their normal camera up to a QR code and have it work, it's a pretty big deal. There's a lot of new alternative QR codes out there, like the ones for Snapchat, but the native QR code still holds many more advantages. The ones for Snapchat or really other ones, or even a standard barcode, are really a reference number to a database. So anything on Snapchat or a regular barcode, you're really just getting a number out of the code that goes to some database online that then tells you what the result is. And the QR code with all the little dots in the middle, all the little bits, um, actually contain the data in the code itself, which removes the need for a middleman and keeps it really as the best option. Anyone can create a QR code. No one can stop them from doing it. And really it works well. 
Again, we'll see if they really come back or not. They're, they're quite dead at this point, but having this move from Apple could help quite a bit and we'll keep an eye on that as it moves forward. Google's made a small but important change for nonprofits online where if you search for the name now of a US-based nonprofit, you should see a donate button appear right in the search results for that nonprofit. A small change, hopefully it'll make a big difference for those nonprofits. And if you want it to show up for your nonprofit, you simply need to opt into the Google for Nonprofits program, get that set up, and you should see that donate button appear at some time in the future. Another small change Google has made is that they now show labels for PowerPoint and PDF files in the search results. Now Google's long indexed and shown direct links to PDF and PowerPoint files in the search results, but now they show new labels next to those in the results so people realize they're going directly to that file. And note these labels are only for results that take people directly to the PowerPoint or PDF file, not for pages which have those included. So it helps simplify things in the search results where you realize whether you're going to a page that talks about a PDF or going directly to that file itself. Some screenshots of that are available in our show notes if it's not appearing yet for you. Google's just shared that the local question and answer feature that they rolled out back in August on mobile is now available on desktop search. So from the Google My Biz shopping cart Twitter account, they said, quote, we're expanding questions and answers on Google My Business. Now users and merchants can ask and respond to questions from their desktop on mobile search or on Android Google Maps. So it's a nice little change. The Q&A feature seems to be something they're ramping up and having it on a desktop will help quite a bit. It's important for users to leave Google reviews for your business, but it can often be difficult to send them a link directly to where they need to go to leave a review for you. Google will encourage links when they want to, but it's tricky for you to make that link and be able to hand it to someone. The Search Engine Roundtable has built a good step-by-step -step system for you to show you how to go and make that link for yourself. It's a bit more than I want to get into in the podcast and would be a little messy to say verbally versus letting you see it yourself. So check out our show notes, uh, see a link to that, and if it's something that's important to you, they make it pretty easy to set up that link uh, so you can help get a few more reviews for your site. Meta descriptions in Google just got a bit longer. For years, really as far back as I can remember, Google would show 160 characters in website meta descriptions, which are the descriptions of text shown under each result in the search engines. They don't affect search rankings, but a well-written meta description can help you get more clicks in your search result. That link suddenly seems to have gone up to roughly 230 characters. Not sure where that number came from. It's, it's bouncing around a bit. But Google's actually confirmed this, saying, quote, we recently made a change to provide more descriptive and useful snippets to help people better understand how pages are relevant to their searches. This resulted in snippets becoming slightly longer on average. So not sure exactly how you can affect that. Some early tests seem to show that the longer ones only occur when Google automatically generates your meta description. So if you do it by hand yourself, which you typically should, you're still limited to 160, but I suspect that'll change soon. A few nice updates to Google Home and the Google Assistant. The first one is Google Home will now accept two commands at once. So now you can say things such as turn off the hall light and turn off the kitchen light rather than having to do those as separate queries which you've had to before. And you can do the stacked queries for a lot of things but note that it's a limit of just two commands now. It's not more than one, it's simply one or two. If you try to do three, it kind of has some issues with that. And Google Assistant can also now help with local searches. So if you say things like find me a plumber, it can now know where you are and help you find that kind of search which you've long been able to do on mobile and desktop and now you can do it with your voice too, which should be very handy as you start to use those more often. A bit of news from Google this week regarding speed in terms of the time to first byte in rankings. So if you do a page speed search on your site, you'll see that TTFB, that time to first byte, meaning when someone requests your site, how long does it take to get that first little bit back? It's not something you really need to worry about too much. I got a gentleman named Bill Hartzner asked, hey John Mueller, should we be worried about TTFB, time to first byte, or just on speeding up our page load speed, the code, the images, etc. does TTFB matter? And Google's John Mueller said, as far as I know, we don't use TTFB for anything in search ranking. It can be a good proxy for user-facing speed, but like other metrics, don't blindly focus on it. So if your time to first byte is real bad, you want to talk to your hosting company, see what you can do about that. But really, the other page speed things, the size of your images, 
Uh, the way you have things compressed and caching and that sort of thing should matter quite a bit more in Google's eyes. Google's announced a few things related to structured data this week. The first is that your structured data should match visible content. We have a link to a Search Engine Roundtable article about that. You don't have to put structured data on all your pages, but if you're going to put it on a page, it should match the visible content. Another article has Google mentioning some things, even some examples of how they can actually penalize for incorrect markups, saying, quote, as much as using a discount voucher can be a very special thing, that doesn't make coupons or vouchers or sales, quote, events. Using event markup to describe something that is not an event creates a bad user experience by triggering a rich result for something that will happen at a particular time, despite no actual event being present. So Google continues and says, since this creates a misleading user experience, we may take manual action on such cases. In case your website is affected by such a manual action, you will find a notification in your Google Search Console account. If a manual action is taken, it can result in structured data markup for the whole site not being used for search results. So if you're using structured data for events and ratings and products and that sort of thing, be sure to use them the way they're intended. Events is one that in particular has been abused a lot where people say, hey, we have an event every single day of 20% off when that's not really an event. It's an ongoing thing. So be careful how you handle that sort of thing on your site. And our last bit of news is Google Trends is now showing more real-time data, including YouTube search, Google Shopping, news search, and image search in real time. So if you've not used Google Trends before, it's a neat thing where you can see historical data of what people search for in Google and just get an idea of, of when their things are popular, when they come and go. Uh, some good examples are holiday songs. If you search for those, you see them peak, you know, starting after Thanksgiving up to Christmas. Or in a less fun example, at least for me, if you search for Google Earth, you can see the interest in that sort of fading over time. Uh, not that Google Earth is a bad product per se, just it's not as exciting as it once was, so people search for it a lot less. But those are some neat trends. And now it's cool that Google's adding some real-time data from YouTube search and shopping and some of those places. So we have a couple articles in our show notes. So you can learn more about that. And lastly, for our tip of the week, go check out WordPress.tv. If you're involved with WordPress at all, there are a lot, a lot of great videos on there, thousands of videos. I just got back from WordCamp US in Nashville today, and there was a lot of great sessions there. All those will be up on WordPress.tv very soon. Uh, lots of videos from years and years from other WordCamps, from meetups, other things around the country. If you want to learn more, to educate yourself more on search engines and development and every little aspect of WordPress, you find tons of great videos on there. I encourage you to check it out. And that's all we have for this week. You can find me on Twitter at MickMel, M-I-C-K-M-E-L, or learn lots more at GreenMelonMedia.com. You can find out more about the podcast, including show notes and links, as well as video tutorials and many other resources over at abrighterweb.com. If you're in the Atlanta area, come check out our meetup, held three times each month. And if you're not in the Atlanta area, we post recaps on the site soon after each meetup. Either way, you can learn more about that at abrighterweb.com meetup. Thanks for listening.